It is, well, how shall I put this? Happy October. <laughs> if, <laughs> if you're listening to this, you made it. <laughs> Almost fall, but feels like friggin' summer in most places. Not here. You know what's <laughs> weird is that summer went out with such a storm. Uh, literally, one day mm-hmm. we had this huge thunder lightning storm 3000 strikes in an hour oh wow and that was it summer was over dang kind of like last night around here we had a storm blew in and lowered the temp about i don't know 10 20 degrees wow but yeah that's the midwest for you so you know what we you know what we need to do tonight we have to put the disclaimer up Oh, yes, we do. Let's see. Dun, dun, dun. There it is. We are going to show you some stuff that may be disturbing to we, uh, <clears throat> certain people. Um, yes. And so if you don't like disturbing images, then you might want to move on. If you do like disturbing images, you came to the right place. Consider this your trigger warning if you are easily disturbed or have a weak stomach. But if you are not and you're a little weird like we are and <laughs> like studying this shit, if you're, you're really here. disturbed, then you're in the right place. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Of course, we started with a lot of the jokes on the page today. I had all those old memes on my phone. Yeah. The guy we're looking at. So I put those up. I think the funniest one was the dialogue between him and between Ted Dahmer Bundy. and Ted Bundy. Yeah. Yeah, that was hilarious. With um, Gacy at the end of it. With Dahmer saying, hey, Ted, why don't cannibals eat clowns? Bundy looks at him, says, why? Dahmer, because they taste funny. Bundy, LOL. Gacy at the bottom in his clown outfit. Fuck you guys. <laughs> nice twist at the end. <laughs> oh, it's just great. But yeah, he kind of compliments the one we did two weeks ago with Albert Fish, too. Hey, question for you. Uh-huh. Do we have some history today? I, I have some news items. Hadn't been right. feeling too well this past week, so not a whole lot with the historical research, but... All right. Um, so this week in crime history means this week. Yes, literally this <laughs> it week. It is very, 
very current. <laughs> <laughs> um, of course, we have the Dallas cop getting 10 years in prison for shooting a guy in his apartment. Um, not sure how people feel about that. Personally, I, I, I thought it was I prefer to light. not be a shot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, I think it was light. Uncomfortably light, but... And then did you see the twist on this where today they are, a lot of people are getting pissed at the judge for coming down off the bench and basically giving her a hug and handing her a Bible after the sentence was handed out? So? So... Yeah, I know. I mean, what's the... I didn't see what was such a big deal about that. As long as if there was anything in the future involving her and that judge, that judge recuses herself. But, you know, I mean, she basically said it doesn't have to be this way. You can do better things from now on. You can mend yourself. And that was it, so... But yeah, now you have all these people saying, oh, the judge needs to step down, and... I don't know. I just don't see it. But, yeah, a couple other things happening. Um, this, a headline on... And it's from CNN about five days ago. Three Catholic churches in El Paso have been targeted in arson attacks. And the FBI is offering a reward for info on the culprits. Um, well, May 7th... Yeah. It really is. May 7th at St. Matthew's, followed by another a week later at St. Patrick. Um, and then about a month later, June 15th, St. Jude, all in the city. It'll be interesting to see what comes of that. I would imagine they're, you know, related, but I don't totally know. Um, let's see, this one in... Kansas City on September 26th. Girl shot in head by a stray bullet dies on her 12th birthday. Really sad story there. Ugh, stray bullets, man. See, yes. and this, this is a thing that people, even cops are guilty of this, right? They get You get tunnel vision and, and you think things are only going to go where you imagine them going. Yep. Where you want them to go. And, and they just don't. Yeah, I mean, it really, it's just a sad, sad story. It's actually Harvey, Illinois, my apologies, wow. south suburb of Chicago. Um, she was on her computer choosing t-shirt designs for her birthday. Oh, man. Uh, That's awful. On the other hand, falling bullets are not nearly as deadly as people imagine. Yeah, I remember I mean, hearing one about... I forget where that was, but yeah, they're not nearly as bad. They do as not that. come down at the velocity at which they were discharged. There's a terminal no. velocity for bullets that's really not all that fast. It would mm -hmm. hurt. It might even penetrate the skin a little bit, but they're they're just. It's not like somebody's, you know, standing over your head firing a gun. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, now, this one was interesting, too. Um, see, the the headline, Hedge Fund Heir Gets 30 Years to Life in Prison for Killing His Dad Over Allowance. What? <laughs> From the Daily Beast. Was it a Beast. lot of allowance? 
Uh, Thomas Gilbert Jr., convicted of murdering his hedge fund founder father in 2015, gets 30 years to life on Friday, according to NBC New York. The 34-year-old Princeton graduate was found guilty of second-degree murder and criminal possession of a weapon earlier this year after his father is found dead in the his family's Manhattan high-rise apartment. Um, hours before his father was killed, Gilbert Jr.'s weekly allowance was cut to $300 compared to the $1,000 he originally had. So he puts a bullet in him. Wow. It is, wow, it's beyond fucked up. Well... I don't know why he didn't shoot him over the thousand dollars. Was a thousand dollars a month? Wouldn't get you far in New York. No, and a, and his dad's a hedge fund manager. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty yeah. chintzy. Come on, dads, <laughs> get, with, get with the times. You, yeah. you 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 paying guys trying to pay guys a dollar to wash your car. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so, man. Uh, oh yeah, and then you had this. Uh, September 30th, Stacy Dash, the clueless actress, arrested on domestic battery charges in Florida. Really? Um, according to Pasco County Sheriff's Office, um, Dash and the unnamed victim got into a, quote, verbal argument on Sunday and pushed the victim and slapped him in the face. <laughs> left red scratch marks on his left upper arm. So we'll see what comes of that. And then you had this one, pretty gruesome, out of Arizona. A dad has been accused of killing his son by pouring hot water down his throat to, quote, cast a demon out. Jesus. The man allegedly told police he, quote, saw something evil in his son and he knew he had to cast the demon out. This was actually on an um, Indian reservation over by Tucson. I can't remember the name of the tribe, but this guy that they're charging. Oh, here we go. The Pasqua Yaqui, Y-A-Q-U-I, Indian Reservation. With, But this guy was not a member of the tribe. Married in, I suppose. Um, around four, tribal authorities arrived at the Martinez home. After getting a call about a burn to a child, the boy's parents were standing outside, and when police asked what happened, the woman replied, he can tell you. According to the criminal complaint, Pablo Martinez told officers that they wouldn't understand and, quote, were not no. in the right mindset <laughs> or belief. <laughs> okay. Yeah, here's the thing about laws. They do not require belief. Nope. <laughs> kind of like not science. Not at all. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That Pablo Martinez explained that within the last week, he noticed that his son had a, quote, demon inside of him and that he needed to save him. The boy's adopted mother also told officers that the six-year-old had, quote, been acting demonic. Um, yeah. A six-year-old? Yeah. <laughs> a six-year-old. <laughs> they do that. <laughs> kind of comes with the territory. It really I'd does. Say. It really does. Ugh. <laughs> uh. Absolutely. That is all I have in the way of news. All right. So, this is, we're talking this week about a guy who is very well known. 
Yes. Very well, well known. But people mm-hmm. just kind of have, and I admit to being one of those people, just kind of broad strokes concepts about this guy. Right? Like, yeah. you know, he's a cannibal. And yes. That, and then it doesn't go much beyond that, really. Yeah, it really doesn't. But in so many ways, he was an oddity, too. And I don't just mean that in terms of the popular mind, but he's an oddity when you examine serial killers as a whole. Much more so than a lot of the others. He's one that I don't think you could call him a sadist, was the big thing. Interesting. Um, But we'll get to that. Um, Absolutely. We're talking about the Milwaukee cannibal, none other than... Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey Dahmer. I remember one of the first things that I knew about this guy was my mother explaining that he is the reason she believes in capital punishment, although he did not die by capital punishment. He's actually... Uh, oh, right. His... Well, I mean, not not by the courts doing. <laughs> no. Oh, no, not at all. I mean, he had his brains beaten in basically in prison by another inmate, which we actually have a picture of him when we'll get to it. But, um, yeah, I mean, he is plenty vicious in other ways, you know. Born in um, 1960 to Lionel Dahmer, his father and mother. He was the same age as my little brother. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, born in... Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, my much older brother. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. Oops. Total of um, 17 men and boys from 1978 to 1991 under um, Dahmer's kill list. But yeah, he's born in 1960 to uh, parents, Lionel Dahmer, and I believe Sherry was the mother's name. I was just looking for that, but... Yeah, they were fairly normal, you know, people. They raised him more or less normal, but his um, dad was basically a full-time student through a lot of this, going to get his degree in um, chemical engineering at college. He's actually Dr. Lionel Dahmer now. Um, Joyce was his mother's name. Thank you, Joyce. But... um. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of theorizing as far as Jeffrey goes that his dad being um, at school kept him basically absent from his son, from a lot of his son's life. But, you know, other than that, there wasn't any abuse in Jeffrey's history. There wasn't any of the typical uh, markers that we've seen in a lot of these other cases. But... One thing about him that they noticed was he really liked (laughs) dissecting animals and some say torturing them. Although I honestly didn't find any verified reports of of cruelty to animals. Well, yeah, Uh, I mean, I mean, if you're going to say dissecting animals is an indication of uh, possible possible, you know sociopathy then every biologist needs to be investigated (laughs) yes yes and that's really a good question there where does this go from 
basic, you know, scientific curiosity that's good and that should be nurtured into, you know, pure morbidity. Well, it, like you see, right? It's it has to do with is the animal still alive? Is it yeah? Is it torture or is it investigate? Is it curiosity about the biology? I that's, mean, right? Because Michelangelo used to dig up corpses to study mm-hmm. the physiology of of muscles and and things like that. Uh, oh yeah, and it, for his artwork. Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey did this with animals too, and that's what he said: is he wanted to know how they worked. Were his words, but I didn't find anything about him, you know, killing them or being cruel to them. Just that he really liked to do this with dead animals. Um, and his dad, he asked his dad one day, "Is there a way that you can clean bones?" And it was actually Lionel who showed him how to do that. Um, you know, and imparted a bit of that science to his son. But yeah, they moved um, later on to Ohio when uh, Lionel actually got a job with a chemical company, getting his degree. That was in Bath, Ohio. Um, and we actually had the house that they lived in for a while. Yeah, let me pull that up. Why not? Let's see. But well, yeah, a, they yeah I got pictures of the whole all the family pictures and growing up pictures in the household. Mm-hmm. Starting up now, and you know they moved there, and again it was fairly normal. Although another thing that people started noticing about Dahmer is that he would drink very heavily. He kind of started um, developing his problems with alcohol. I think around that time they moved to Ohio, but as a teenager, yeah, a lot of the people at his school thought it was weird that he would drink both hard liquor and beer. Uh-huh. Um, was their big thing, yeah. But hey, this was—I he- I hear that causes bad hangovers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know from experience it does, but. Yeah, I don't do that. I, I was taught to never do that. I'll just say, and I haven't. I was taught that as well, but I was stupid enough to do it a couple times. <laughs> so, yeah, there is Jeffrey and Lionel right there. But yeah, mixing those actually mixes the um, congeners in both the uh, types of alcohol. Which on um, the congeners, for people who don't know, that's all the leftover shit in beer or spirits that isn't beer or spirits and that's what makes you sick um but yeah they moved to bath ohio and they're going you know jeffrey's going through high school and his parents turn out to divorce um and they both move out of there and they basically leave um Dahmer alone in this house at age 18 in Ohio, um, which we're still waiting on that. But pick. so, so wait, hold on. Both parents move out and leave him in the house. Yes. At eighteen. Yes. Jesus. There was no that, okay. custody <laughs> arrangements with him, but yeah, they left him in the house. Basically, he had free reign of the place. Oh man. <laughs> and that? Can you imagine? <laughs> well, 
that was where he did his first two murders. Um, his first one was he actually picked up a guy who was hitchhiking to a concert and took him back there to the house. And this was also shortly after him realizing that he was gay, too. Um, which uh, sort of, I guess, is bubbling under the surface until in high school he realized it. And I don't think he ever really came out to his parents or anybody else. But, um, yeah, he picked this guy up and took him back to the house. And they were drinking beer, listening to music. And apparently that he was wanting to get away from Dahmer. I guess he was, he might have not been wanting to engage in the sex at any rate with Dahmer. Yeah. I don't think he was heterosexual, but he wasn't wanting to engage with Dahmer on that level. So what does Jeffrey do? Instead of letting the guy get away, he picks up a barbell and hits him over the head. Because that's the way to convince him to stay. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, and that's where you have to, you really get into what I think drove a lot of his psychology, and that was loneliness. You really see that, I think, in a lot of cannibals, too. Mm. Is that the ultimate thing here is loneliness with them. It's a, it, it's, it's just, I've heard it described as a way of possessing the other person. Absolutely. And keeping would... them with them all the time because they've been... Because they've consumed their flesh. Mm -hmm. And they do not leave that way. Right. And that was, I think, the Although thing that really they motivated do. Jeffrey. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Mean, but I mean, in, their, in their minds, they never do. No. And they don't, but... Yeah. So he gets this guy there, he kills him, and after, you know all the knowledge he's accumulated from dissecting all these animals, he uh, basically dismembers him in the back of the house and in the woods, which there was a fairly substantial wooded area behind it, the house there. And he uh, takes a sledgehammer to his bones. Oh. Which that was one thing that he did with more than a few of his victims, actually. Um, was that sledgehammer to grind the bones up? Well, see, and and that right there would tell me if I was sitting on a jury, I would say not insane. He's trying to. Oh. He's clearly trying to hide his actions. Oh, I couldn't agree more with you there. And most definitely. Um, and you yeah. know, getting it. There's a lot of theories around that too. I think he was somebody who definitely had a um, a personality disorder, but not a thought disorder, which so would have been. So, what was his IQ level like? That's I didn't see that in what I was reading. I only saw a um, diagnosis of schizotypal disorder from a couple of shrinks, and I think they had um, something like intermittent psychosis. As well, but that was the main thing with him was the schizotypal. And I was just looking for my copy of the DSM to read what that is. All right, according to Wikipedia, he was known to be highly intelligent in high school. Even yeah, but... Although, even though he had average grades. 
Oh, uh huh. Shit, sounds like me. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And just saying, and looking at his fantasy life too, it was getting more and more um, rich around this time that he was being left alone. Um, around age eighteen, he described later to the shrinks his first violent fantasy as he conceived of it. He noticed this jogger around where he was living, this guy who looked really good to him, and you know, instead of actually approaching the guy. His thoughts were, okay, I'm going to go wait in a um, bush by this trail with a baseball bat. I'm going to knock this guy on the ground, and while he's out cold, I'm just going to lay with him. Like lay down next to him? Yes. Not rape him or anything. Just just try to be just sit close, close to him. Essentially, yeah. Again, you know, getting back to that idea of loneliness, where yeah. it kind of started festering there. Um, but yeah, and he ended up killing two in that house in Bath, Ohio. Ugh, I'm just... Yeah? I'm having some issues with my sight here again on the browsers sorry was having issues before we went on the air tonight and i'm trying to still resolve them a little bit but um yeah he ends up you know still drinking hard drinking heavily and his life is sort of just going downhill from there so his dad actually came back to the house in bath with his um, new bride i guess it was his fiance at the time her name was sherry and we actually had that pic of her i saw with Lionel Dahmer was the um, black and white one with some text. Oh, yeah, yeah. That'll come and, back it, around. and they saw how Jeffrey was living in this house, and, you know, it's a pigsty. It's just, you know, not right. They know something is horribly, horribly off when they come back there and they see him. And his dad basically says, I want you to get a little bit of structure. I want you to go into the army. Oh. And so Dahmer does that. And he is stationed over in West Germany as a medic. And they actually said he was a um above average soldier in what he did. But I can, it was I can believe that for sure. Actually, you know, a lot of sociopaths who have a desire to live in a, in socially acceptable ways they will choose uh, careers in um, police and military. Mm-hmm. To, oh yeah, to give them socially acceptable outlets. For oh yeah, their uh, you know inclinations. And that's not just even serial killers getting no, you know, close no, to not that. E- no, not even that. I mean, you know, uh, I know one guy who's he actually knows he's a sociopath. Um, oh really? Yeah, and he he thought that the ideal career for him would be a sniper. Oh, I could definitely see that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good job for a sociopath, right? Oh yeah. The thing is, you want ideal, yeah, really? Really? Yeah. Definitely, but 
Yeah, I don't know how much of that was him wanting to go in to it, though, as it was he was kind of, you know, forced into it, for lack of a better word. But, yeah, he was stationed as a medic in um, West Germany at the time. And it, during his service there, it actually came to light later on with his crimes back in the States that there was a couple of soldiers he raped over there. Oh, really? Yeah, they didn't make any claims about it when he was in the service. But, um, yeah, after his crimes were known, it sort of came out. Um, But. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that he didn't turn into an angel of death type of a person in that role. That's true. Being a medic. Right. He didn't. Access, know, access to access to drugs and you know sick slash dying people all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that would have been a interesting career choice for him. But actually, when he um, tried college out too, it was business. I think was his major, but he was only in it for three months. So it was that, and then it was the army. Um, and then he came back in, after being um, honorably discharged from there. Doesn't that, seem, doesn't that just seem weird? In a, I don't know. To me, it just seems weird that somebody who's that messed up would be a good enough soldier to not be kicked out even. You know, I, from my understanding, what I was reading with that, it was kind of borderline that they went with honorable. Okay. It was essentially the bureaucracy he, he decided he, that he his wasn't issues. <laughs> yeah, they did. They essentially decided that his issues wouldn't be a problem in the civilian sphere. So they thought, you know, <laughs> there's no reason to um, give him a dishonorable discharge. Right. So, yeah, but you know, going from there, he comes back and. He ends up um, living with his grandmother, where he kills a few more of them. And his um, second, well, his third, actually, major kill was at the Ambassador Hotel up there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where he um, picked up a guy at a gay bar and took him back there. And Dahmer said with this one, he didn't remember murdering him. Mm. But it, the way that he described it with this episode was basically dissociation, mm. where he was in bed with the guy, and then you know he's out cold, and when he gets up, the guy's dead. He's bleeding out all over, and he has his chest is black and blue. Well, it, you know, he could have just been blackout drunk, right? Yeah, I mean, very it, well could have been. I mean, he was drinking. He admits to that, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, and up into and it, this time, he had a history at the um, bathhouses mm-hmm. around that area of um, trying to drug the men who went in. I mean, have you ever had a blackout episode? I have dissociated fully before. Yeah, I know how it is. Uh, yeah, I, I had a, I had a, an episode with, um, um, 
a sleeping pill and a little bit of alcohol, not even very much. I mean, a very mild sleeping pill and a very little bit of alcohol. And the mm -hmm. thing is, is if you don't go to sleep after taking that, you will have a blackout episode. Oh, wow. And the reason I know it is because I woke up and there were dishes laying around my room that I don't remember getting. <laughs> oh, wow. And a, a few things like that and a text I don't remember writing. And it was a really good text, by the way. It was like, <laughs> I was like, I remember reading and going, damn, I wish I'd written that. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it, mine was actually from Ativan. But I but had it, a bad reaction. It's terrifying, though, after the fact. To Lost realize, time. Yeah, to realize that, you know, you have done things with zero memory of it. Yep. Oh, absolutely. And, 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 it, and you know, and if you have those tendencies, mm -hmm. um, that's the kind of thing you're going to do when you're blacked out, I think. It brings out the real person yeah. in a lot of ways. I'm honestly not sure what happened when I had that episode, but I just remember waking up in the hospital in a bed. Whoa. They evidently administered, um, I guess they administered another benzo. It's like I said, mine was a bad reaction to Ativan wow. when it happened. But, um, yeah, so... But yes, around this time, Dahmer also, his drinking got to the point where he was starting to get arrested for, like, drunken disorderly was the first one for him when he was back. Uh, he was fined $60, given a suspended sentence with that. Um, he found employment as a phlebotomist, actually. <laughs> at the, Why uh, is Milwaukee, that so funny? <laughs> at the Milwaukee Blood Plasma Center, uh, 10 months before he was laid off. And uh, let's see. It's kind of weird that this wouldn't do it, though, because he was also arrested for indecent exposure at around that same time. Um, let's see. That was when he allegedly exposed himself to a crowd of 25 women and children. Uh, what? It was at the Wisconsin State Fair in 1982. So you have the first murders occurring in 1978. And we get that far. And it was around um, 1985 when he got the job that he was kind of known for. Uh, packing chocolate at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. That's not a metaphor. No, that's why I that's why I said packing chocolate, not fudge. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that is not one of the Dahmer jokes that we were going to get into. But <laughs> let's see, there was an incident there where he was allegedly propositioned by another man while sitting in the public library. And let's see, the guy threw a note offering to perform fellatio upon Dahmer, did not respond. Um, but this incident, he said, kind of stirred in his mind these fantasies that we were talking about, of um, dominance specifically. Hmm. But, you know, again, I think you look at it, and there really isn't a whole lot of traditional 
as for traditional, as far as our subject matter, sadism in the way that Dahmer would kill. Um, the way right. that he sort of right. refined he, he it wasn't, was strangling. He, he wasn't trying to have a prolonged torture session. No, not at all. Um, definitely not at all, but... Yeah, it was around this same time when he's also getting kicked out of the bathhouses for, like I said, um, drugging the guys, that he is also known to have stolen a male mannequin from a store, which he was using for (laughs) stimulation. (laughs) Yeah. And that his grandmother, because remember, he's living in her house at this time, discovered the item stowed in a closet and demanded that he discard it. So, yeah, there you go. Oh, my God. Hey. Um, let's see. I was just looking at the timeline here. It's usually his, his MO he was refining in those bathhouses, sort of, too, was sleeping pills, usually in a drink that he would give to his partners, his victims. So... Um, liquor laced with sedatives. So, so far... I mean, as far as the world is concerned, even his family, he's he might he probably seems a little odd, but nothing to get cons- too concerned about. Yeah, the local guy who you know he's a little weird, he, probably yeah. just because he's a drinker or what have you. Right, you know he acts out in weird ways. He does a few odd things, but nothing you know nothing to get too worked up about. Hey, just knock this shit off. And we'll be fine. Yeah, hey, basically. Um, but that's not what's really going on. No, no, he's keeping it, you know, to himself. It almost makes me wonder because there was an incident going back to when he was in high school. Mm-hmm. Somebody actually saw him drinking gin in class. Yeah. And when they looked at him and said, "What are you doing?" He just looked back and said, "It's my medicine." <laughs> well, and it almost makes you wonder if he was did doing he that really to think, sort of black it out then. Did he really? He might have actually, you know, I mean, that's classic self-medication oh, yeah. mentality, right? Yeah. I mean, if he, would, if he was having these fantasies back then and he really meant it. Well, I mean, in the 70s, um, being gay was not... I mean, even where where I grew up, you know, uh, being gay was kind of, it, it wasn't a hateful thing. I mean, people didn't seem to react in a hateful way that I ever noticed, but it was more comical, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, than, than, you know, really, you know, off-putting or anything like that. So, but it, it certainly wasn't you know, just, you know, accepted. So, mm-hmm. I mean, one of, I mean, here's how it was with one of my friends in high school was that he ran around act quote unquote acting gay a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out he really was gay. <laughs> oh yeah. And he masked being gay by acting gay. Well, sure. In a, in a humorous way. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, 
a lot of people use humor to cope, myself included. Yeah. You know, different stuff. I mean, we both, I think, definitely do that. But, yeah, it just it makes you wonder. Uh, you know, let's see. It was around that time again, around 85. And getting into 86, where he was actually arrested again for dick wagon in front of two 12-year-old boys this time as he stood close to the Knick-Knick River up there. Wisconsin is such a weird state. <laughs> well, I You mean, guys have Ed Gein, too. Man. But I'm just south and the, of you, And the so. Packers. <laughs> <laughs> the Packers. Uh, yeah, let's see. He claimed with that one that he was just peeing and they came upon him. But, yeah, the charge was apparently changed to disorderly conduct. Hmm. You got one year of probation with that. And it was then that you get into the Ambassador Hotel. Stephen Tuomi was that victim. Um, it was November 20, 1985. Again, he's residing with his grandmother. Okay. God knows, he must have been putting enough money away to get a room at this hotel. But he takes Tuomi back and... He could not believe what had happened, in his words. And he gets up, and the guy's chest is caved in. He's dead. You know, he's black and blue all over. The theory was, a little bit later with that, that during this blackout, Dahmer tried to get at his heart to eat it, if you can imagine that. Whoa. That came out when he was talking with the shrinks in prison, actually. But, um, yeah, blood seeping out. And to dispose of the body this time, he purchases a large suitcase. And he transports the body to his grandmother's house. And one week later, he severs the head, arms, and legs. Flays the bones from the body before cutting the flesh. One week. What apparently. time of year it was this? At winter. Okay, so. 1987. He might have been, I mean, hell, if he was going to do something with it, he might have been waiting for the ground to not be so damn hard. Well, I mean, Go the, out there and being, being winter in Wisconsin, I was just wondering how the body didn't stink to high heaven after a week. Well, yeah, I mean, it's going to be cold up there, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, that definitely explains it, but the entire process... It took him only two hours to do it. He disposed of all of them, excluding his head, in the trash can. And that's another thing. Before we get too much further into the other victims here, yeah, do we have the picture of the skeleton altar? Oh, sure. I can pull that up. One moment, please. <laughs> <laughs> Now, if you can believe this, this is something I did not know until I started reading about this case more. He, Dahmer had told investigators after they caught him in 1991 that had you been about six months later, this is what you would have found. And we actually have a mock-up of it that somebody did and put on the internet from the description that he gave. One second, almost there.
<laughs> Avoid right, cannibalism, go. get tattoos. Good advice, James the Lesser Express Lane. Because they taste funny. He wouldn't eat clowns for the same reason. Kidding, but that's actually the guy that killed him. Next to him on there, unless, yeah, there's his mugshot, unless I'm loading weird on my end. I got the altar up now. Okay, I might have to refresh. Yeah, this is actually what he described to investigators. This altar with the skulls and the skeletons at the side. Hmm. Somebody did that sort of a mock-up with it, and he had said that his whole goal with that wasn't like religious or anything, but that he would feel centered with it. And it's definitely ritualistic. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Very clearly. But it, it, breaking down the symbols with that, man. Yeah, that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty bizarre. Wonder how his grandma would have thought felt about having that around the house. <laughs> well, by this time, it was actually his apartment. Oh, okay. The um, notorious, uh, man, what was the name of it? It's torn down now. It's actually a um, just a vacant lot. I can't remember the name of it right now because, like I said, I've been having kind of a crappy week with uh, my health. But, yes, uh, back to the Ambassador Hotel. It was Tuomi. We get through that killing. And Talking disposal about the of 924 North... Apartment 213. Apartment Two 213. Apartment 213, yeah. Yes. Which is probably a good thing that the city decided to just bulldoze that entire fucking thing after all that came out. Can't even imagine. But Yeah, well it's gonna it's gonna get two types of people. People who want nothing to do with it and people who want too much to do with it. Yeah, the serial killer groupies, yeah. basically. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, he his he was developing further his M.O. by now. And like we said, he would get him with the sleeping pills, get him unconscious, and then strangle them. Um, yeah, no torture at all with that. No degrees of sadism. Um, but two months after... The Ambassador Hotel. Dahmer came across a 14-year-old Native American male named James Doxtator. He lures him into his home with an offer, a ruse of $50 to pose for nude Polaroids. It's one that he would use often again. Seems to be a favorite amongst a lot of these killers. Um, right. Let's see. He, this is again at his grandma's house. Yeah, they engage, they had sex, and then he drugs him, strangles him on the floor of the basement of the house. And again, he leaves the body in the cellar for a week again. Must be chilled he... in there. I guess. I still don't know about that smell, though. There has to be something coming up. You'd think. And then he dismembers it in the same way that he did with Tuomi. Um, he put all of... Doxtator's remains in the trash besides the skull, which 
by then he was taking it, boiling it to um, help preserve it. And then he would paint them with the ones that he wanted to keep for this altar. Wow. Um, so, yeah. And he pulverized the rest of the bones with the sledgehammer. And, and just, let's and, see. And then just threw things out in the trash. Yeah. yeah well, and that was... Uh, Mostly at his grandmother's again. When you get to the apartment is when he starts dissolving them in acid. Ah. Um, his favorite mixture for that was Soilex, which is an alkaline-based industrial detergent, I guess, with mm. bleach. But, you know, again, you're talking about somebody who has essentially grew up as a backyard chemist with these things. As right. we were talking, and, and he, he, he's not a he's not adult. He's he's got a brain on his in his head. He knows how to think. Even oh, if absolutely. he didn't apply, even if he didn't apply himself in school or the military. Yeah, he's not. Oh, stupid. absolutely. He's not stupid. Yeah. So if he and, wanted to find out how to do something, he could figure out how to do where to get that information. Oh, yeah. Now, you know, it makes me wonder if he got some of the acids from his father early on, too. If he would have had easier access that way. Yeah, maybe. That's another thing I didn't really think about. But, you know, well, another... but, but in those days, you know, there were a lot of chemicals that really weren't, you know, being watched closely. It's true. If, if you had, if you put in a, an order and you had uh, the cash, they'd send it to you. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you knew where who to buy from, and you had, a, you could buy enough of it to justify. If you go to an industrial supply place, mm-hmm. um, or a chemical supply place, um, they'd be more than happy. To, mm-hmm. to sell you whatever. Oh, definitely. Yeah, not as much regulation because really I, they didn't see a need to. I right. think a big thing that changed a lot of that was the Oklahoma City bombing, too. Right. 1995. Exactly. There's an interesting um, Netflix special on that I watched the other day about them just making the calls about McVeigh and um, Terry Nichols and Michael Fortier making the calls just to get the fertilizer. For all that. Yeah. And the nitrous fuel. But yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, um, I think I think government regulators go overboard in in that shit with you know, with like, you know, uh, ephedrine and norepinephrine and shit that you know, you used to be able to get really easily over the counter in your allergy meds. Now, mm-hmm. you know, you have to go th- jump through hoops. And yeah. guess, and guess what? Meth's still being made. Oh, yeah. And it always will be. Yeah. Because prohibition doesn't fucking work. It but never works ever. Yep. But, um, yeah, you know, that's another thing with Dahmer. Another thing that made him an oddity among a lot of these killers is that he... Race didn't factor into his thoughts at all. Right. When he was hunting. It's, this is, yeah, 
you you see this and and the it, it it'll come through on the slideshow um but it's really rare for a serial killer to cross racial lines yes and it, it goes against the statistical grain it really does but but he uh he does that mm-hmm in fact i we had one um slide of all of his victims on one mm-hmm. yeah yeah that'll be popping up here in a second but he said that the main thing that he would use with all that his main calculus when he was hunting was their body shape ah. was the main thing that sparked it for him so race just it didn't factor in with really any of that um Let's see. He, yeah, from, yeah, he used that as a ruse quite a lot, and he's cruising a lot of these gay bars at the time. It was about, um, it was March twenty fourth of nineteen eighty eight when he killed his next one. It was a twenty two year old bisexual man, Richard Guerrero, outside a gay bar called the Phoenix in Milwaukee. Um, he again takes him to his grandmother's residence, and the incentive on this occasion, his ruse, was fifty dollars to simply spend the remainder of the night with him. And then he drugs the guy, strangles him with a leather strap, and then performs fellatio on the corpse. Oh, necrophile! And it, this one, I'm not sure why he. Maybe it was to change the seasons, but he didn't keep the body around as long. Dismembered within 24 hours of the murder. Yeah, what the time remains... of year was this? March. Yes, yeah, it's warming up, right? Yeah. Well, and you know, there's the other obvious reason there, that he kept them around for a week at a time would have been the necrophilia as well. Right, but the, the rigor, the rigor, rigor passes within 24 hours, though. So, yeah, but they're so depending on how you, I mean, they're yeah, depending on what his interests were. Yeah, and I mean, there's ways that he could have re-moisturized um, right. the corpse as needed. Um, but I was just looking to see if there was evidence of that with the sources right. I have. Right. So there's there's the picture of all the the victims up on the up on the screen now. It gives you an idea of. Um, race as he thought about it. Yep. There's only, what, a total of three of them were white. So, yeah, we move on right. from Guerrero. But, but it, it just shows that, not that he was into black men, but that he didn't care about race. Right. Right, exactly. He was into form, as yes. he said. Um. Yeah, and it was actually at the next one that he lured back. He almost got caught by his grandmother. Oh, really? That was in April, where he lured another young man to the house with drugged coffee this time. But when the guy was out, he heard his grandma say, Is that you, Jeff? And... <laughs> yeah, he answers, you know, obviously not saying, "Oh, I got somebody else here." But yeah, he opts not to kill this one and he just when he loses consciousness takes him to a hospital. 
and basically drops them off, leaves them. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It was in September of that year, 1988, where his grandmother asked him to move out because of it. she noticed he was bringing young men to the house. And she started noticing foul smells <laughs> emanating from the basement and the garage. And that was when he moved into the one-bedroom apartment on North 25th Street, September of that year. And it was also, it was actually the day after he moved into that apartment, he was arrested for drugging and molesting a 13-year-old boy. In one day? Yes, one day after he moved in. Wow. And again, he lured this one in with the ruse of nude Polaroids. Um, let's see, he was convicted of second-degree sexual assault and of enticing a child for immoral purposes. And let's see, sentencing for that was suspended until May 1989. So. But, but, but he didn't kill them. No. Why? It's a good question. I'm honestly not sure. I mean. Let's see, thought. Because we see this, we see this a lot of times where with um, people who start off with being like rapists and they escalation, get, they get tired of being arrested for, you know, for rape. And so they start killing to so they don't get <laughs> yeah, arrested they... for rape. <laughs> right. Yep. But the, and he's already been killing. It's weird that he would let somebody go. Kind of go backwards. Yeah. With that whole thing. Good point. I'm not sure why he didn't kill him, but yeah, they suspended his sentence till May 1989. Let's see. He moved back into his grandmother's house after that, and two months after the conviction, and two months. Two months prior to the sentencing, he murdered his fifth victim. I would assume that would be from most likely the stress of all of that. Probably triggered him. Yeah. That was a aspiring model, mixed race 24-year-old named Anthony Sears, who he met in March of 1989. Let's see. And according to Dahmer, on this occasion, though... He said he was not looking to commit a crime, which is weird. But shortly before closing time in the Phoenix that evening, Sears, quote, just started talking to me, is what Dahmer said. So he lures him to his grandmother's home, where they engage in a little bit of oral sex. Then he drugs and strangles them, per his usual M.O. And... He places the corpse in his grandmother's bathtub where he decapitated the body before attempting to flay it. But, so. did, but didn't he already... But he, he still... He had his apartment, but he, he went back to grandma's house for this. Oh, no, he lost it with the... Uh, oh, because of can, the arrest? Yes. Gotcha. He lost that one. Um, yeah, and then he stripped the flesh. He pulverized the bones again with... a. Uh, sledgehammer 
And he disposed of it all in a trash. And this one, he said about Sears, he found him, quote, exceptionally attractive. And this was where Dahmer started taking um, trophies that went beyond the Polaroids. Because the Polaroids that he would take of these victims, they were basically his trophies up until then. Yeah. So what does he do with Anthony Sears? He permanently retains a couple body parts. Oh. He takes his head and his yeah. genitalia, and he preserves them in acetone. Oh, and nice. It, yeah. And the, to top it all off, where does he store them? His locker at work. What? Where's he working now? He's still at the chocolate factory. Oh, right. So... Jeffrey I just, the, I can't Jeffrey even fathom how he didn't get caught. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey in the chocolate factory. Oh, man. <laughs> but let's see. Yeah, on, in May 89, he's sentenced to five years probation and one year in jail with work release permitted that he could keep his job at the chocolate factory. Mm. Also has to, of course, register as a sex offender. Let's see, two months before his scheduled release from the work camp, from the penitentiary, basically, he's paroled. His five years probation imposed in 89 began at that point in May. So he temporarily moves back in with his grandmother and in May moves into the Oxford Apartments. That is 213, oh, okay. located on North 25th Street. So, that is when you move into 1990. He moves out of Grandma's house on May 14th and into 213. He takes Sears' mummified head and genitals with him. And Grandma yeah. never saw these things. Oh, but, oh, no, they were at work. They had been at work, right? Right. The head and genitalia had been at work. I don't know how nobody else would have seen that. Yeah. Had work. But man, let's see. It was his sixth victim now, Raymond <laughs> Smith. Somebody going in there to steal Jeffrey's lunch and get a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. What? Yeah. <laughs> see, it was May 14th in 1990. He tries a new ruse. Raymond Smith, a 32 year old male hooker. He says, $50, come back and we'll help fuck. So he gives him a drink laced with seven sleeping pills, manually strangles him. Let's see. I think Raymond Smith might actually be the photo, the Polaroid that we, yeah, we have pulled that. for that. This Polaroid is actually from the book Practical Homicide Investigation by um, Lieutenant now, Vernon J. Gaberth in the NYPD. He's a pretty noted yeah, it's... homicide investigator. Check this out. And his yes. hands. That is, I took that picture right out of the book. That's the head and hands. In, in the genitalia. Yeah. And then you saw how Dahmer would like to pose a lot of the bodies with the slide that was just before this one, I think. Almost in like a crab formation. 
Right. But yeah, those were Polaroids taken right out of the um, investigation of his apartment. They were given to give birth by the uh, Milwaukee PD. So yeah. Wow, indeed, Eddie. Let's see, in 1990, even the seven, he spray painted Smith's skull. Wow. See, it, this... you know, it's so weird. These, the particular killings, there's a section in here in this book all on homosexual killings. Yeah. And a lot of these guys like Dahmer who, you know, just targeted homosexuals, that was one of their favorite things to do was to keep trophies with Polaroids. Hmm. There's another guy that's listed in here right after him, a killer by the name of um, Larry Eiler, who was also in um, Illinois and Wisconsin, actually. 375 Polaroids they found of 23 different victims with Holy him. Cow. You know, the there it is. That's the one I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah. And it looks like he's missing his head already. Or he is, is it just tucked back? No, it's gone. His okay. head's gone. It was the one that was laid out on the other slide. There, there's, there's something else that about Dahmer and many of these other people that we've profiled, and that is they're just balls out boldness with yeah with the shit that they do without getting caught year after year after year um you know that you know taking people off the street or from a bar or whatever you know and he keeps fucking body parts at work jesus christ yeah <laughs> And, and, yeah. and it just keeps going on and on. You know, they just do all of this very just bold as shit stuff without, you know, and they're, they're, all, they're all clearly thinking, yeah, this will work. <laughs> and it does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's just I mean, astonishing. It, you, no doubt about it. And with so many of them, I think you can attribute that to psychopathy, too. The lack of um, impulse control that's characteristic of it. Well, it's not just that. It's like they don't... It, yeah, it runs deeper than that. It, it's, it's that and it's, but, and it's also this, you know, you know, this, this thinking that, the, the, you know, I can do this stuff and not get caught. Oh, yeah. Feelings um, of invincibility through a lot right. of it. Wasn't it Fish who... Who believed, you know, hey, if if God didn't want me to do this, he'd stop me. He'd come down yes. and stop me. And, yes. I, and I think there's a lot of that, even if they don't specifically think of God. They think, you know, if I, if I wasn't supposed to do this, then I'd be stopped somehow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, most definitely, although Albert Fish, as we know, is a very extreme example because oh, of his psychosis. His many, his many, <laughs> many problems in yeah. his head. Yeah, but... Yeah, that's how Dahmer started. Let's see. 
after Smith, he lured, or yeah, I'm sorry, Raymond Smith, because there's another Smith that actually came right after this, Edward Smith, drugged and strangled him, um, rather than immediately acidifying the skeletons, or repeating previous processes of bleaching, he placed this guy's skeleton, Edward Smith's, in his freezer in the Oxford Apartments for several months. And keep in mind, throughout all of this, inside the apartments, he's keeping these gigantic vats of acid that he's dissolving all this in. Now, here's the thing about acids. They often have a very strong odor. Yes. Especially in quantities like, you know, essentially bathtub-sized quantities of this shit. How does nobody smell the acid itself? Well, you know, that was a weird thing. There was, I guess, the apartment management. A lot of the neighbors were complaining, not so much about a chemical smell, but about yeah. the smell of, like, death out of there. Oh. Like, it was that bad. And wow. it, apparently, Dahmer told them at first blush when they complained to him about this, that yeah. he had a bunch of food that spoiled in his freezer, and well, they bought it. Really? Because if that's the case, all you got to do is throw it out, and then you don't have the smell. Yes. It's, it's, but then, that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty weak explanation, in my opinion. I thought that his second one was even more weak. When they came back, still complaining about it, he said, oh, all my tropical fish died. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> yeah and apparently that, they bought that, that too what is he keeping for tropical fish kraken <laughs> yeah but yeah i honestly it just you know the omissions and the stupidity of some people through all this yeah. just oh my god and that's like when you get in closer to when he was caught, getting into 1991. So you start that year off, February. He observes a 17-year-old standing at a bus stop near Marquette University up there in Milwaukee. He leads him into his apartment with an offer again, a ruse of posing, nude for photographs. And at this time, he's sexual intercourse, too. Drugs mm -hmm. strangles him. Um, let's see. He retains the skull, hands, and genitals, photographing each stage of the dismemberment. So he's keeping trophies on a couple levels there. Literal body parts and, again, the uh, Polaroids. And then he starts, you know, putting more of them into his freezer and his fridge and all this. Mm -hmm. Um Let's see. April of that year, 19-year-old Errol Lindsay. This guy was the one who was heterosexual. I was getting those confused. He lures him in again with the ruse of just posing. And it's this one where he decides, okay, I want to make a sex slave before I kill this guy. So oh. he drills a hole in his skull and pours hydrochloric acid into it. Thinking that would what um, just disable his 
upper level uh, processes. Yes. That keep them alive. Yes. Did it According... work? No. According, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After this, he awakes and um, let's see. He says, "I have a headache. What time it is? What time is it?" In response, Dahmer drugs him, strangles him, decapitates, retains his skull again, plays the body, uh, places the skin in a solution of cold water and salt for several weeks in the hope of permanently retaining it. The skin? Trying to tan the skin? Yes. Um, but it became too frayed and brittle, so he got rid of it. Well, I'm pretty sure salt's not how you tan hides. Yeah, I doubt it. Um, let's see. Actually, I think urine is one of the key elements in t tanning. Uric really? acid. Yeah. Interesting. You know, that was another thing I was going to look up for this that I wish that I had was the um, zombie cocktails that they would use in traditional voodoo. Yeah. Because I want to say... Was he into voodoo? Well, no, it just it made me think of it because essentially oh. what he was trying to do was produce a zombie by pouring ah. acid into the guy's brain. Which the sure. um, second guy that he tried that on, he tried it with boiling water into his frontal lobe after um, taking a power drill to his skull. Couldn't he have just... A lobotomy is not a complicated process. That's what I was just thinking, too. And even just literally an ice pick through the eye. Yeah. I wonder why he didn't think of that. I mean, yeah. it's, it is one of the most simple medical procedures imaginable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It is very weird. You know, he's not the only one. Um, that guy I mentioned, Eiler, also tried producing his own sex slaves, but he did it in a different way um, from what I had heard. And a lot of that was actually pouring acid through the eye was the way that he tried doing it. Oh, man. So he's one we might have to get in on another day, but... okay. Oh, yeah, it was around this time again, 1991, where you have a lot of the the residents of the Oxford Apartments are starting to bitch more about the smell. And they had also were bitching about the scent, the occasional sound of a chainsaw from this <laughs> apartment. Yeah, not the kind of sound you expect to come out of an apartment. Yeah, and I was just looking for the excuse for the chainsaw, but I didn't see it. But let's see. And this is when his undoing sort of starts. On the, it's May 26, 1991. He comes across a 14-year-old, Conorak Synthesomophone, um, up there in Milwaukee. He approaches him with an offer of money again to accompany him to his apartment to pose. Um, and oddly enough, this guy was the younger brother of the boy who he was charged with molesting in 1988. So three years before. Really? Yeah. A brother? Yes. And the, he was initially reluctant to go, but um, he ended up going. He posed for two pictures 
and let's see it was he was actually the second one where he tried a hole into him and again hydrochloric acid into the frontal lobe and then there was actually the third one where he did the boiling water so yeah he returned may 27 now yeah, it just keeps going on with and on with this guy. Yeah. But oddly enough, this one, after he gets the hydrochloric acid into his brain, he somehow manages to escape from Dahmer's apartment. And he's out there on the uh, street, surrounded by these three women, and um, Dahmer, he finds him out there. And... It, Apparently, these women are like, okay, we're calling the cops because they see you know, he's got a gigantic hole in his head. <laughs> and that, that would be a good indicator that... Yeah, you know, and he's also naked. Law enforcement there, pro- professionals may be required. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, upon the arrival of two officers, Dahmer, who's at the scene, his demeanor is, a, is fairly relaxed, and he tells the officers... That Cynthia Sumphone was his boyfriend, that he drank too much following a quarrel, and that he frequently behaved in this manner when intoxicated. Accidentally drilled a hole in his head? <laughs> I don't know, man, <laughs> how he did that, but the women standing around there were just like, what the hell is this guy talking about? This is bullshit. And the officers apparently looked at them and said, shut the hell up, was the quote. And don't interfere because this is a domestic. So they basically buy his story. Oh, man. Dahmer's story. Yes. So they cover the kid with a towel and they walked him back to the apartment. So. Wow. Yeah, they, they get back there and... Dahmer, he basically lets them just tuck their heads in to look around, and he shows them the Polaroids that he took. Ah. And that basically proves it in their minds. So they leave. And they noted when they were up there a, quote, strange scent reminiscent of excrement. So he had a couple of bodies in there decomposing still. Christ. Yeah, and he said Dahmer basically looks at him when they bring it up, and he said, you want to investigate it? And the officer, according to Dahmer, just peeked his head in, and he didn't really take a good look. So they leave. You know, it's interesting how, psychologically, how that works. That if you try to hide something, people become more interested. But if you say, hey, you want to check it out? People are like, oh, well, if you're going to offer, then no. Yeah, it's, man, but, you it's, know, it's even a very ha- common uh, tactic. Wow. And, and it works really quite effectively. And even if they had just done a basic background on him, they right. would have seen that the guy's registered as a sex offender. You know? Sure. Man, so the, he gets the kid back there. And he gives him another injection of hydrochloric acid into his brain, which kills him. Wow. 
And let's see, it was May 28th. He takes it, Dahmer takes a day off from the chocolate factory. And he dismembers the couple of bodies that are there. And he keeps both the skulls. So let's see, it is June 30th. He finds a 20-year-old in Chicago to kill. So he offers so, you know, so wait, I can, back up one second. Something's not sitting right with me. This kid that they that got out and then the cops came. How old was he? He was let me check that again. I wanted to say he was 18, 17 to 19, somewhere in that age range. 17. So he's underage. Yes. And they just Barely. let it go. Apparently. Because he's the boyfriend, he says. How much egg they had on their face after they figured all this out. Not enough. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not enough. But, man, it's just horrible. Let's see, June 30th is when he finds a 20-year-old in Chicago at the bus station to kill. Matt Turner was his name. He does the usual ammo with him, places his head and his internal organs in plastic bags in the freezer. Are we are we getting to the end of his list yet? We are oh, about man. there because this is crazy. Yes, let's see. Skip ahead to July fifth. He had a twenty-three year old again from Chicago. Um, drugged him. And this was the one he actually tried the boiling water on into his skull, mm. which sent him into a coma and killed him. Imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah, no shit. July 15, 24-year-old Oliver Lacey. Um, again, the ruse opposing nude. Drugs him. Let's see. He tries chloroform this time. Kind of weird. Deviates a little bit. Let's see. Skeleton in the freezer and his head and heart in the refrigerator. And things are starting to come to a head. Four days later, he's fired from the chocolate factory. Then he lures a 25-year-old to his apartment. Left him laying on a sheet for two days dead on his bed. And he finds him covered in maggots later on. Yeah, that'll happen. No shit. Man. Let's see. It was July 22nd, 1991. And he actually approaches three men this time with a $100 offer to accompany him to his place again for the ruse. Yeah. A 32-year-old Tracy Edwards is the only one who agrees. Um, And he goes up there. And basically, Dahmer tries to cuff him. Things get hanky, and this guy, he actually manages to get into a fistfight with him. Oh. Yep, and he gets his way out of the apartment and flags down a cop. And that's telling him... So this is finally the end of the line for old Jeffrey, I'm guessing. Yes, telling him that, quote, a freak... It placed a, a cuff on him and asked the police if he could remove the cuff. The officer, if you know, can you get this off of me and let's go back up there. So yeah. the cop agrees and they go back up there. 
And Edward says, yeah, it's that guy. So they go in, and that's when they find all the shit in his place, man. I was just looking for the entire hall, which I have a list of what they found. Uh, four male torsos stuffed into a metal barrel, two heads in the refrigerator, two heads in a freezer, seven skulls, boxes of bones and severed hands, um, genitalia in a lobster pot, a freezer packed with lungs, intestines, a kidney, a liver, and a human heart that Jeffrey told police he was, quote, saving to eat later. <sighs> he didn't say, no, oh, these aren't my body parts. These belong to my friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he didn't try any of his shit this time. He realized he was pretty much dead to rights, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where, even when they got him into the interrogation, he's just like, yeah, I don't want a lawyer in here. You know, yeah. you got me. I'm done, basically. And that's when they um, actually get him in for the trial and everything. He pleads guilty, but insane. Is how he pled. Mm. So the question throughout all this is, is, is he sane? So you have a bunch of different theories on that. Okay. Um, The one that I think I agreed most with was from um, Dr. Park Dietz, who is a, he's a noted um, forensic psychiatrist who does a lot of work with law enforcement. And he basically said what really proved it to him was Dahmer's alcohol problem, of all things. Because Dahmer would always be drunk. Before he would kill. Hmm. He need, the, the Dr. Dietz's theory was that he needed the alcohol to work up the courage to do what he's doing. Because otherwise he would have avoided it. And that is, yeah, and that is the biggest proof that he is sane. Although you had others arguing that he um, was psychotic at some degree. But yeah, I totally agree. He's sane with it. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree. I mean, the fact that he, you know, tr- you know, goes to any effort at all to h- hide his at- behaviors and his crimes indicates mm-hmm. indicates that he knows that it's wrong. Oh, absolutely. And it, like Mr. Deadman also says, Menzraya. You- yeah, mens rea premeditation is what it also showed. So this wasn't just impulsive with him. Right. He knew what he was doing. He hunted. And, you know, I think he even tried a lot of bullshit behind bars, too. Like, his big thing with that was, when he's behind bars, oh, I'm a born-again Christian now. Oh, yeah. He was also one of them who tried to say that pornography made me do it. Which is um, bullshit, too. Right. But. Yeah, Bundy, yeah that, Bundy tried that. Yeah. Among others. I forgot. He did that, too. Yeah, he blamed a lot of it on. he Not just him, but all a lot of serial killers he blamed on pornography. Mm-hmm. Well, at least Ted didn't try the whole um, religion thing. No. No, when yeah. they caught him. It's man. 
<laughs> don't blame the porn. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, at any rate, it was 1994. And seriously, he had... though, if if porn if porn was a causal factor in this, we would be cheek to jowl with serial killers today. Yes. Oh they, yeah, and they've had... they'd be they'd be serial killers on every block. Oh yeah. Well, and they've actually we shown, I think, that the opposite. Yes. That porn is not correlated with sexual violence. It's correlated with decreases in it. Yes. But, yeah, and um, let's see. It was 1994. Dahmer's bludgeoned by an inmate in prison. Mm. I actually have a bit of the um, New York Times article about that. Jeffrey Dahmer, multiple killer, is bludgeoned to death in prison. Jeffrey L. Dahmer, whose gruesome exploits of murder, necrophilia, and, and dismemberment shocked the world in 1991, was attacked and killed today in a Wisconsin prison, where he was serving 15 consecutive life terms. Mr. Dahmer was 34, older than any of his victims, who ranged in age from 14 to 33. He died of massive head injuries, suffered sometime between 7.50 and 8.10 a.m., when he was found in a pool of blood in a toilet area next to the prison's gym. The guy that, um, we have the slide of him right next to Dahmer is actually the guy who killed him. Okay. Yeah, that, was there any, uh, reason given? Um, he tried to say later on that he, um, had, I guess, a newspaper or something with him and basically said, Jeffrey, is it true? Is it all true? And Dahmer looked at him and he said, yeah, it's all true and I don't regret it. And I guess it just provoked a fight. Wow. But, I mean, he was pretty well hated through there, you know. Yeah, there he is with Lionel in the Stone Phillips interview. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting, interesting character. Yeah, he's he's quite the oddity, even when looking at all this. Yeah, he he does he does stand out. I mean, um, his his behaviors and his patterns pretty pretty unique. Yeah. Absolutely. As a follow-up to the cannibal Albert Fish. Yeah. Yeah. Following well, up tonight. Okay. Yeah, check out the Dead Man's Tome podcast following up tonight. Best Jocks of Horror. Yeah, that's coming up next. Yep, you guys had Dead fun Man's with Tone. that. It'll be a lot of fun. All right, so let's sign off and say good night, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Uh, like our podcast, share it around to all your friends and enemies, and tune in next week. Absolutely. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>